get the mayor and John Hoven. Johnny, how are you? I'm doing outstanding, Boom. Just trying not to float away here with the uh, river of rain that we're getting. You haven't had any rain in like 15 years. No, and, 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 uh, people don't know what to do. Just a little, 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 little sprinkle is normally all we get, but uh, it's been heavy rain here off and on for the last couple of weeks. So we'll live, though. We'll live. Good. I watched a feature on 60 Minutes probably five years ago, maybe longer, on the the lack of groundwater in California. This is really necessary, and I'm glad it's happening. I hope it continues. Now, before we get to the Kings, I want to ask you about either the Pacific or the West in general. I just mentioned the Kings are on a roll. Seattle wins every night. So the Pacific's kind of getting interesting at the top, and separation's being created with the Alberta teams. Uh, Nashville's kind of making a run again uh, in the Central. St. Louis is kind of trying to do the same. Colorado's back to sixth. We hit the midway point of the NHL season tonight, or we enter the second half tonight. What What are your thoughts on where everyone stacks up right now? Well, it's, it's interesting because of late, uh, you know, especially over these last 12 games, the Kings are 9-2-1. and one, But when you look at in seven-game, uh, excuse me, in 10-game blocks, most of the teams in the Western Conference are like 500 clubs in 10-game blocks uh, of late. So uh, it's, it's not like there's a, a one or two or three or even five teams that are on these heaters. Uh, it, the Kings, uh, Minnesota was for a while, et cetera. So – there's still a lot of parity within the Pacific Division. There's still a lot of parity within the Western Conference. But we are slowly, it feels a lot slower than in previous years, we are seeing some separation between some other teams. Um, but at the same time, when you factor in games in hand, it, all of a sudden things can you know tighten up quickly. So it, it's been exciting from that standpoint because if you get to the middle of the year and uh, you have you know two teams that are running away with it and then, then a whole bunch of other sort of glut in the middle – uh, it, it's just a different feeling than what we're getting this year, where really a lot of teams are still in it because of parity in the Pacific, or excuse me, in the Western Conference. So the reason I asked you to come on was to have the Fiala conversation. Um, seven points in the last two hockey games. This is what Fiala does. He gets hot somewhere around the midway point of the season, and he can carry it for a long time. He's not a guy that gets hot for two weeks. He gets hot for three months. Uh, there's always been questions about can he do it in the playoffs, but in the regular season, the second half, he's just a monster moving into the top 20 in the NHL scoring. What have you seen from him? I think probably the most impressive thing is, is, is the versatility. It's, it's not just the goal scoring. It's his passing ability. It's his ability to play, uh, play on the power play and also his ability to play up and down the lineup. We saw him at the beginning of the year on the top line. He was moved down to the third line. Then eventually, after an extended run on the third line, he was moved back up to the top line. Things were clicking again with Opatar, and then recently back down on the third line. And so the production just continues to come at a fairly consistent uh, uh, pace. And, you know, you talk about at, uh, offense uh, for the L.A. Kings, and it's, just, it's always a surprising conversation uh, because this team has been such a defensive-oriented group for the better part of almost 15 years now. You're talking about a player who's on – a pace that's above Ziggy Palfi's pace in the early 2000s. This could be the first point-per-game player for the L.A. Kings since Ziggy Palfi, uh, which is a long, long time ago, generations of, of teams ago. So it, it's, it's rather exciting, uh, I think, for the L.A. Kings fans to have a player who can put up a point-per-game, can be so offensively dynamic. Uh, and, and of late, he's, he certainly has been uh, fantastic. You know, five goals in his last two games. He was trying to become the first player since... Uh, Bernie Nichols, I believe, to score 
hat tricks in back-to-back games. He's just a player that you're 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 on the edge of your seat when he's on the ice uh, every night because he's going to make something happen. And this is just such a stark difference. I can't explain how important that is compared to the last 10 to 15 years where even when the Kings were winning, they were typically grinding out 2-1, 3-2 wins. This is a team that puts up a lot of offense, and it all goes through Kevin Fiala. He's more than 10 points ahead of the second-place person when you look at uh, uh, points per player on this team right now. Yeah, it's rare you get a guy at that age heading into his absolute prime available. And it only happened because Minnesota didn't have the cap space to extend him, or sure, they would love to still have him there. It's amazing. So we got to have the Copley conversation again. You know, usually we've seen these goaltending stories before. A guy comes up from the minors, and it's a great story. But they tend to only stay hot for a week or two, and then they, you know, they turn back into a pumpkin. Um, so as we enter the second half of the season, the Kings are already in their second half. We're, we're going to have to point to a goalie who's going to be their guy as they head to the to the playoffs. Maybe you believe in Copley, and maybe this is going to continue for a while. But where do you think this is heading? Well, this is what's interesting, Boom. We were just talking offense a moment ago, and offense leads me back to 92-93 with the L.A. Kings. That was the last time this team had six 20-goal scores. Right now they're on pace to have six. 20 goal scores for the first time since 92-93. I reference that as the setup to the goaltending because this goaltending situation, it reminds me of 1992 and 93. At that point in time, Kelly Rudy, the established starter in Los Angeles, was having a really difficult time stopping the puck. It got so bad to the point that they had to go out and get Rick Knickel, a guy who wasn't even on, uh, on an NHL deal with anybody, was playing in the minors in the IHL with the San Diego goals. He signed, he comes up, and he basically takes over the net. And it just it feels like Rick Knickel for longtime hockey fans or Kings fans uh, that know the reference. It feels like Rick Knickel all over again. Phoenix Copley has come in. He has established himself clearly as the number one goaltender for the L.A. Kings right now. He's getting the majority of the starts. He's playing on a, a consistent uh, uh, basis than, than what they have available. Jonathan Kuwik is still trying to find his way through whatever's ailing him right now. Cal Peterson is down. Uh, doing his thing and trying to establish his confidence. But where does all of this go is really the big question because the, the Kings, you know, they're already strapped with cap uh, space situ- uh, concerns, and they're looking to add, you know, defensively when it comes time to the trade deadline. So it's it's going to become a very awkward situation uh, very quickly here, I think, over the next six weeks as they try to figure it out. And again, to your question, is Phoenix Copley, the guy that you want to ride, is that your number one goaltender heading into the playoffs? As crazy as that might have sounded 30 days ago, with each passing start, it starts to look more and more like that is a very viable option. And uh, that's crazy to think about because back at the beginning of the year, you never have expected anybody other than Jonathan Quick or Cal Peterson to be the number one guy in the second half of the season. Copley, he just stops the puck and he's made this team better. You look at what they've done uh, since mid-December here over the last 30 days, his record speaks for itself. And uh, he certainly has put the team on his back to a certain extent and uh, taking them on this magical run. Um, yeah, I said I ask you about Copley a lot. I think I ask you about Byfield a lot, too, but here it comes again. He got rocked the other night by Zach Hyman. What a great, great hit, and I don't think he enjoyed it. He got up, and he ultimately came back to the game later, but he still doesn't have a goal this year. What is the rest of the season going to hold for Quentin Byfield? Boy, I'll tell you, if, if there's a question mark of what's going on in goal, there's probably an even bigger question mark sitting there next to Quentin Byfield. And I always preface this statement with the reminder of how young he is, 
and really his whole career is in front of him, and that is all true. And as we've seen in Los Angeles, really for an extended number of years, it has taken many of these prospects an extended period of time to get going, whether you're talking about the career arc of Adrian Kempe or Gabe Velarde and some of these other guys. Quentin Byfield seems to be the latest one. that he, He's not going to be this teenage phenom that comes in and lights the NHL on fire. Now, part of that is just because of where the Kings are as a team in, in their sort of development curve, if you will, and where they are. And they're not, they're not bottom feeders, so they're not going to put him in a position where he's going to be playing 25 minutes a night, which accelerates his development. Instead, they're breaking him in slowly, like they were doing with an Arthur Kaliev. Byfield's a bit of a question mark because, quite honestly, he should be the third-line center. That's where he belongs in this lineup, uh, given his size, given his tool ba- his, his toolkit. Uh, he belongs in this third-line center. They've given him this opportunity, ha- having had a successful conditioning uh, assignment down in the Ontario or with the Ontario Reign in the American League. He's now up on the top line for the most part, playing with Andre Kopitar. He's going to need to produce some points there, and so it's one thing to have Kevin Fiala go down to the third line sort of create and generate his own offense and produce. But Byfield's going to need to be able to produce being on that top line, playing with Kopitar, playing with Kempe. I'm just not convinced that he's a wing. So he's going to have to make that adjustment. And, yes, it's easier, we all know, to move from center to wing than it is from wing to center. But his tendencies and, and, and his, his muscle memory, it's all been geared towards being a center. And what do you want from him as a wing? You don't want him to be – you know, the dynamic shooter that maybe uh, Adrian Kempe is or maybe that Victor Arvidsson is. Okay, well, do you want him to be a hunter? Do you want him to go get the pucks? Do you want him to be an Alex Ayafalo? I think there's sort of some training on the fly here to figure out how to best utilize him and how to get him to generate some offense. I, I will say, outside of the score sheet, if you watch some of the little things that Byfield does, he has been impressive in some of these games. And, yeah, you don't get credit. Uh, beyond the secondary assist, but he has set up a lot of plays. He has made a lot of plays. He's helped create for some of his other uh, line mates and some of his other teammates in different situations. So it's not like he's out there looking totally lost and he's not contributing. It's just he's not showing up on the score sheet, and that's what most people are looking for at this point. Lafreniere and Byfield go 1-2 in the 20 draft, and it's just not happening right now. Not yet anyway, and John said they're still young, but you'd like to see Splash from the top two set by now and we haven't it's concerning last one for you johnny uh get away from tonight i want to go back to monday what did i watch in that hockey game because there was so much nasty right up to the final whistle of the game and maybe it was just the oilers falling behind in a game in a little bit of a panicky situation the season's getting away from them a little bit or is there more to it did that playoff series do something last year like did the kings and oilers genuinely dislike each other now I think it's a combination of both of those things, actually, Boom. And then you also have uh, some of the new players and some of the new blood that have been added into that. So, you know, Drew Doughty, he's a very competitive guy. He was just beside himself that he couldn't be part of that series last year. We all know also how much he loves to play Canadian teams as well. So you add all of that sort of into the mix, and it just ratchets things up even further. And this is an L.A. Kings team. They're feeling it right now. They're on this great run, this 9-2-1 and run, one run. They're much they're more committed. So this identity of the group and this cohesiveness, they've all really bought in, uh, you know, winning solves all, all, all problems, as we all know. But you just look at what, uh, what took place. Phil Deneau dropping the gloves. You know, Sean Dersey, he's a gamer. His teammates love him. I've had coaches tell me for a long time that uh, 
he's the type of guy that, you know, states want to go into a foxhole with. People love playing with Sean Dersey. But you look at Phil Deneau dropping the gloves. It, it's just these two teams do not like each other. And uh, while Edmonton might have been feeling some of that desperation that you were talking about as their season and as the game was flipping away, the L.A. Kings want to start pouring on as well. They want to prove that they deserve to win that seven-game series last year. They're disappointed. They're pissed off. They didn't win that series. They think they're a better team than what they showed. And uh, they want to show everybody, including the Edmonton Oilers, but the rest of the Pacific Division, that they're for real right now and that they think that they can contend uh, to win the Pacific Division this season. So you, you kind of combine the emotions and, and the from both sides, and that's what led to a really exciting hockey game. And for those of us that have been around for more than a few years, uh, I'll take Smythe Division hockey all day, every day, boom. Interesting times. Should be a good one tonight. Johnny, thanks for the time as always. All right, boom. Take care, buddy.